is More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Steve Moore, this is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. I hope everyone is having a great weekend. By the way, it's unbelievable. There's only 23 days to Christmas. Isn't that incredible? 23 days to Christmas. Um, by the way, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Holidays to everyone. Not a lot of shopping days left, but I want to start this conversation by talking about what people are doing when they're going out and buying things, uh, because this is very worrisome to me. I am not a financial advisor, but I have to say, when I look at what uh, is going on with the buying habits of Americans right now, it has me very troubled. So we are now officially, for the first time in history of our country, we have more than $1 trillion of credit card debt. I didn't say $1 billion, I said $1 trillion of credit card debt. Now, that is a big problem if you can't pay it off. And by the way, borrowing on your credit card is one of the worst ways to borrow money because you probably all know that the credit card companies will charge you 25 or even 30% interest on a late payments on your credit card. And so what's going on right now, and I think this is one of the reasons that so many Americans are feeling financially stressed out, is that for the last two and a half to three years since Biden came into office, we've seen people's wages and salaries and their income falling behind the rate of inflation. Now, yes, inflation is down. Thank God. Hallelujah. The inflation rate is down, but it's still up three to four percent. And on the things that you have to buy, uh, like groceries and gasoline and uh, paying your rent and your uh, utility bills, those are up by 20 percent. And so what's happening is to pay their bills and to maintain people's, you know, usual normal buying habits, people are going more into debt on the credit card. And I, that is very making me very nervous. Now, I have a suspicion that the reason some people are going into such debt on their credit card is they think, and this is not totally irrational, that um, Joe Biden is going to forgive people on their credit card debt. Now, you may think that's a crazy uh, conspiracy theory of mine, but it, but it isn't. I mean, Joe Biden unilaterally, without the uh, approval of Congress, and even though the Supreme Court said he didn't have the authority to do it, Joe Biden relieved something like $200 billion of, of uh, student loan debt. That's money that uh, college graduates owe to taxpayers to pay back their loans. But Joe Biden just said, no, nah, yeah, that's OK. You don't have to pay it back. You're, you're, you know, this is a day of jubilee. You get to go out and you get to um, just erase that debt. Now, that just the debt doesn't go away, by the way, of course. It just means that you and I and all the people listening to this show have to pay the debt because somebody has to pay the bill for this stuff. Right. And so it never made any sense to me why the federal taxpayer should have to pay off the student loan debt of a college graduate that has higher earnings potential than, you know, many of the people um, who didn't go to college. But my point is, if Biden can assert the authority 
uh, like a dictator to just forgive hundreds of billions of dollars of, stu- of student loan debt, what is to prevent him to try to buy votes um, a year from now by saying, oh, by the way, you don't have to pay, we'll forgive you on your credit card debt. You know, it's just not fair that you'd have to pay back this debt, even though, you know, you, you use the credit card to buy things. And, uh, you, you know, what are we going to see? Another trillion dollars added to our debt because Biden relieves people of their credit card debt. Now, again, you may think, oh, there's Steve Moore. He's just making this stuff up. Um, look, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I think it would be a crazy policy to do that. But I'm just saying I wouldn't put it behind the Biden people. So number one, don't go beyond your you know, limit on, your, on what you can afford to repay on your credit card. It's just a bad policy and you're just going to go further into debt. And unlike the United States government, folks, you and I cannot print money. <laughs> we don't have unlimited credit cards like the federal government does. And so it's just going to get you into financial trouble. Don't do it. The second thing that I notice that people are doing right now, which I find almost more troubling, is that according to the statistics, more and more people are um, going into their 401k plans that are basically retirement plans, and they're taking money out of the retirement accounts to pay for their current uh, buying habits. That's a really bad idea too, folks, because you're going to pay a huge, huge penalty if you do that. You're going to pay a tax penalty, and it can be very significant, up to 50% tax penalty if you do that. Um, So I guess the solution to this is, you know, look, the consumer is what's keeping this, this economy going right now. No question about it. Consumers are spending like crazy. But guess what? The government money is finally running out because you can, there's only so many trillions of dollars the federal government can hand out as they've done under Biden and people's incomes are falling behind. So you're going to have to maybe cut back a little bit on your expenditures until we get a president who makes our economy stronger. Uh, Maybe that's Donald J. Trump. Um, So number one, don't overrun your credit card and don't go further into debt on your credit card. And number two, do not draw down money from your 401k plan because it's going to cost you dearly in the end. Okay. So that's my financial lesson of the day. And incidentally, before I forget, uh, my staff is always getting angry at me because I always forget to mention that uh, you need to get, if you're not already getting our Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, please sign up for it. It is, I'm not selling you anything, folks. This is absolutely free. There's no advertiser or anything like that. It's just a newsletter that comes out every morning with five or six bullet points. You can literally read this in five minutes every morning. But if you want to be the smartest person in the run, read the hotline and just get that uh, information and you'll be well armed when you uh, debate some of your more liberal friends. And by the way, I know we have Democrats and independents and Republicans listening to the show, and I think everybody would benefit from it. It deals with the economy and finance, a little bit of politics and a little bit of humor. And so if you want to get it, again, no cost to you, just go to committeeandunleashedprosperity.com. That's committeeandunleashedprosperity.com and sign up and we will email that to you five mornings a week. And I think you're going to really like it. We have about a hundred thousand people who get it now, but if you don't like it, you just unsubscribe. So Um, I want to make sure that all our listeners who agree with what you hear on this show and you want more of this information, um, go, please, please sign up for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. Now, the second issue I wanted to bring up is what's going on with this. uh, Are you guys following this? This is this um, 
Uh, they're calling it, I think, COP32. This is this climate change conference, this international climate change conference. I think they're saying, you know, 100,000 people or something like that are going to go to this thing. And it's in it's in the United uh, Arab Emirates. That's where this conference is, which, by the way, they just announced the UAE that they're going to massively increase their production of oil and gas. And so can you think of anything dumber that they're having this climate change conference in the place that produces more uh, fossil fuels than just about any other place on the planet? And so that's kind of comical. And the point I want, but a bigger point I want to make here is what's what's with these conferences? I mean, you know, you got these private planes that fly in, you got all these rich people that come in and they have caviar and lobster and they talk about how much they care about the planet. These are the most selfish people on the planet. And they're these elites that want you to, you, did you see their latest thing, by the way, stop eating meat. We have to stop eating meat to save the planet. Because if we don't order a steak, that's going to change the temperature of the planet. Now, that, of course, is a laughable thing, and you may think I'm joking, but I am not joking, folks. That's what they really say. Eating meat causes climate change. And so we ugly Americans, we're responsible for this. We eat too much meat. Get rid of the cows and we can, you know, because of cow flatulence. You know, when cows fart, they emit. Did you know this? They emit greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes saying Steve Moore is making this up. But I, honest to God, truth, folks, I'm not making it up. That's the way that we, these people think. And so you see all these private jets and all these planes and all the all these uh, rich people say how much they care about the planet. And they care about, so much about it that they want you to stop eating meat and they want you to stop driving your car. And they want you to, um, you know, they, their latest thing, is they want to build more buildings. Stop using concrete and steel because they use a lot of, um, uh, of uh, fossil fuels. And instead, they, they say we should build buildings with um, bamboo shoots and um, other kinds of materials that, that uh, don't destroy the planet. Of course, can you imagine if you had a hurricane and you had your house was made out of bamboo shoots? I don't think it's going to stand up. Um, why do we keep spending money on this? You know, the United States government, this is a United Nations project, and we keep spending our tax dollars on this, and it is just so ludicrous. It's, it's, let me put it like this. They've had something like 30 of these conferences. Remember, we had one in Paris, and they went in this, blah, 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 blah. Now it's in the UAE. And they, what have they accomplished? Nothing. In 2023, the year that is just now ending, the amount of fossil fuels that have been used around the globe is higher than ever before. So it doesn't sound like they're solving that problem. Meanwhile, the carbon emissions into the atmosphere, and by the way, I reject the idea that carbon dioxide is a pollution. Carbon monoxide is a pollution. Lead is a pollution. Uh, you know, other kind of contaminants in the, in the air. Uh, sulfur is a contaminant, but not carbon dioxide. Nobody dies from tar carbon dioxide. You can die from carbon monoxide. Uh, and so this is, this is a big waste of money. And it's just for the elites to, to kind of thumb their nose at middle class Americans, because, of course, we're the country that's responsible for this, even though I think most of you know the answer to this. What country has reduced its carbon emissions the most over the last five years? I think most of you know, if you're a regular listener to this show, the country that has reduced our carbon emissions the, the, the most is the United States of America. 
And we did that by converting from cold to natural gas. It turns out natural gas is a wonder fuel. It's cheap. It's abundant. It's clean burning. It's made in America. It's reliable. It's everything you want. And yet they don't want us to use natural gas. They don't want us to use coal. They don't want us to use nuclear power. They don't want us to use uh, hydropower. They hate hydropower because they don't like dams. And that doesn't leave you with much. Now, a final point I want to make, uh, and then uh, we will get to our section where we talk about finances. I wanted to mention to you that there's um, now six states, including Connecticut, New Jersey, I believe New York is one of them, I, believe, I think California is one of them, that is wants to abolish gas cars. In other words, within five or six or seven years, you're not going to be able to buy a gas car. You'll, you will be forced to buy an electric vehicle. Come on, folks. How is that constitutional that the government can abolish the kind of car you can drive? If you have a gas car and you like your gas car, you better hold on to it. You know, remember when the, the, the Democrats used to say, if you like your health insurance, you'll be able to keep it. Well, if you leave <laughs> like your car under their plans, you're not going to be able to keep it. How crazy is that? These people are dangerous. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, thank you so much for joining. This is the More Money Show. We will be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Oh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Now it is time that we talk with one of the best in the business when it comes to your money and your finances. I'm talking, of course, about Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management, a sponsor of this show. Ryan, thanks for joining. As always, lots to talk about. I got to give you credit, Ryan. You were right, and I was wrong. This um, stock market has been on a real tear. Um, can't it's been it's been a bull market no doubt about it i guess the first question is the obvious one how long can this continue <laughs> well i think you know bottom line is you've got inflation coming down at a pretty pretty good clip at this point steve and we had great inflation numbers two weeks ago uh, the fed's measure of inflation came out on thursday that came in lower um, and shelter costs which is a lag in the C cpi yeah. number inflation number um, that's going to keep coming down so I think if inflation continues to come down, if we look at the labor market, it's still relatively tight and wages now are starting to grow over inflation. That's a very good combination going to next year. So I think this market can continue. I mean, we're going to have double digit earnings growth next year based on recent projections. So, you know, we're really in the midst of a bull market and I don't think it's going to fall off a cliff here. Like some economists are still telling you that this economy might yeah. be uh, in trouble. I don't think it is. So you mentioned um, shelter costs, which obviously are a major expense, housing costs and rental costs. And I'm a little, I, I'm a little skeptical of, of that, that those costs are going to fall only because, you know, we've seen the rise in the mortgage rates, although they've come down a little bit from their highs of almost 8%, but still mortgage rates are a lot higher than they were two years ago. Uh, and that doesn't just affect the mortgage, but it also affects rents. 
And there's still kind of a shortage of housing in most major urban areas. So why do you think those shelter costs are going to come down? Well, if you look at any nationwide um, more real-time data, like Zillow does their own uh, you yep. know, rent index, that uh, they have come down. Now, I, I agree with you. I think there's a floor under how far things can fall just because yep. there's such a tight housing market. And this is something you and I have talked about a lot, that it's really hard for the real estate market to fall off a cliff just because demographics say we've got a lot more demand than, than supply. Um, but this also plays into next year. I think the Fed has to start cutting interest rates. Because when you have a 10-year mortgage or 30-year mortgage at 7.5%, it's just completely unaffordable. Next yeah. year's an election year. I suspect yeah. you know, the Fed you know, might cut interest rates to keep uh, the Biden administration happy. Call me cynical. Um, but I do think the Fed's going to have to start cutting next year to ease the real estate market because that's a big problem. So this is an interesting argument you're making about, the, uh, about what the Fed does next year. Because we still have inf- inflation over their... Um, 2% target, although you're right, it has come down a lot. And uh, here's just a historical question. I should know the answer to this, but I don't. And I know that Bob would know the answer to this, but I wonder if if you do. In In an election year, is it typical that the Fed cuts rates? I don't know if it's highly correlated. Um, the Fed typically cuts rates when they think a recession is on the horizon, which is, uh-huh. you know, this is, it's a little bit rare this time because, they could cut rates next year because they beat inflation, not because the economy is slowing down dramatically, but it will slow, right? I mean, we saw GDP growth yeah. was revised to 5% in the third quarter. Now, what's remarkable about that is a year ago, economists were saying we're going to be in a recession. Right. So not only weren't we not in a recession, but we had red hot economic growth this past quarter. Yeah. So yeah. But I think it'll slow from there. Um, but I think the bottom line is, the Fed has beaten inflation, right? And we've gone from over 9% inflation last summer. Uh, we're down to closer to 3% today. And at the end of the day, you know, next year, if we moderate economic growth and inflation stays mm-hmm. lower, you know, why wouldn't the Fed cut rates here? Um, and I think, you know, in election year, one thing we know is politicians love to pull out the stops. They're going to spend money. Um, and I think yeah. rates are going to come down. So they're going to do anything they can to keep this economy rolling. In the right direction. Yeah, uh, just two two reactions to that. Number one, uh, I, I guess you're right that probably the Fed doesn't isn't influenced by the political cycle, but I know the politicians are. So what clearly <laughs> is uh, correlated with an election year is the politicians calling for lower interest rates in that year. Whether the Fed abides by their wishes is another matter. But also, I want to be on the record for saying I was not Ryan. I was not one of those economists who predicted a recession in twenty. 20- 23, but you're right. Uh, most of them did. And, and boy, were they wrong. A lot of these Wall Street economists were saying, you know, recession in the first or second quarter of 2023. And that didn't happen. And now, by the way, you still I saw a survey the other day, like 60 percent of economists saying 2024 will have a recession. Should we listen to them? <laughs> well, that's what a lot of these economists do and not you, Steve, of course. But it's like, wait, I was wrong. But let me just let me just push out my uh, yeah, my right. forecast a little bit well, further. Eventually, you know, what's the uh, the law that they called eight of the last three recessions? So you know, if you just keep calling for a recession over and over again, eventually you're going to be right. Yeah, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, and, and I think you know, I'd be. <laughs> but I think as an investor, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on yeah. you. And I think the dynamics are lining up next year. Uh, you know, for for more positive growth in the economy and more positive growth in the stock market, because again, it's just that combination 
of the fact that inflation is cooling. And we have a labor shortage in America, um, and I don't think that gets solved overnight. That's going to keep people's wages strong. And we know in America, you know, Americans love to spend money. And if their wages are going up, that's one of the biggest determiners of whether they spend or not. Now, are they going to complain about higher prices? And I think we all are. I don't think it's it's a secret that, uh, you know, under the Biden administration, the prices are going up way too much. But Mm -hmm. it isn't stopping people from spending. And I think that's the key here. It's like, okay. I'm complaining about higher prices, but I am spending money. And I think that's what you have to bet on again next year with regards to the economy. So one person you really sound a lot like uh, in your optimistic forecast is John Katsimatidis, who, of course, is the owner of the station and a a power excellent um, businessman. And he, he shares your optimism. So on the way out, we only have about a minute left. But the counter case, obviously, that you probably hear a lot and I hear a lot, and it concerns me greatly, is, of course, consumer debt and the national debt, which are both at all time highs. So what is your, isn't that going to slow things down? Well, let's, let's address consumer debt first. And consumer debt has certainly gone up because people have spent through their stimulus. It's no secret. Now they're using credit mm-hmm. cards again. But if you look at the level of credit card debt um, and you look at delinquencies, it's still well below where it was pre-pandemic. Um, okay. So, you know, even though debt has risen, we're not at levels where we were at, even at the pre-pandemic level, specifically on delinquencies. Also, the other thing you have to look at, too, is because wages have gone up a lot. If you look at mm-hmm. debt service to income, it's still relatively low. It's something to look at. And I think it's something you don't want to not, uh, you know, be blind, put a blind eye to. But we're not at these like insane levels that speak of like when we we're right before the great financial crisis, when people are leveraged to the teeth. You know, I don't think it's that kind of situation right now. Um, and again, if wages stay strong next year, that should keep people's debt in check to some extent. Now, the deficit, that's a bigger problem. I think that's a longer term problem. I think it's something you right. have to keep an eye on because we're getting to a point where interest payments, you know, that they're higher than what we spend on the military annually. And I think this is a problem. It could be in a weaker dollar. It could can keep inflation higher. So I think that's going to be an issue. But unfortunately, next year, because it's an election year, I don't think that's the year they curtail spending. So but it's a longer term problem. It's certainly some, an issue. Thanks, Ryan. That's Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. He will be right back with his market outlook. This is the More Money Show. Stay tuned. We've got a great show ahead. Hey, if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I guess it's not as bad as it seems. The world doesn't end very often. I need to get my plan together for retirement. Well, here's your shot to do it. We keep 10 slots open for the whole show. You saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Bob and I will run for your now famous total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you take Social Security? There's lots of ways to take it. One right way for you. How do you build a dynamic dynamic income plan that factors in inflation? We'll put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile the last two years. Has your portfolio been like a yo-yo, going up and down but not going anywhere? Or have you been sitting in cash? Paralysis by analysis, you can't figure out what to do. We'll put together a full investment game plan. We're going to tie it to your goals, and we're going to show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. 
And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products like annuities, mutual funds, structured products, insurance products, brokerage products. Bob and I will do a deep dive of every investment you own. We'll show you where all the hidden costs are. We'll show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We'll give, we'll give you our entire full tax playbook. We literally have 10 slots. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for your total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. All you need to do is call or text at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. We keep 10 slots open for the entire show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement at 844-752-6692, that's 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Hey, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, Bob and Ryan, you've been right. The economy hasn't fallen off a cliff right now. The world doesn't end very often. I need to get my finances in order. I need to figure out my retirement plan. Well, here's your shot to do it. We leave 10 slots open every week. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our total financial master plan, and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We're going to go ahead and build you your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we're just going to hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? There's lots of ways to take it. There's only one right way for you. We'll help you pick that out. How do you draw from your portfolio in the most tax-efficient way, and how do you factor in inflation? Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years because of inflation. We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan, show you how to pull from your portfolio without running out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been all over the place for the last two years. A complete yo-yo. Has your portfolio been all over the place? Or have you been sitting in cash? Paralysis by analysis. You can't figure out what to do. We're going to put together a full investment game plan. We're going to tie it to your goals. We're going to show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you those high-cost, fee-laden products that are extremely tax inefficient, whether it's an annuity, structured product, mutual fund, brokerage product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own. We'll show you how to reduce all the costs, optimize your portfolio for taxes, because it's not what you make, it's what you take. You'll get Bob and I's full tax playbook. We have 10 slots if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement for the entire show. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLANNYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now there's no cost, there's no obligation, but you won't have a plan if you don't text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So Bob, at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, We've learned over the years with all our years of financial planning, and that's really what we focus on, that it's so critical for you and your spouse to be on the same page when it comes to putting together that plan. So I thought we could discuss some of the trials and tribulations that we've seen over the years 
when you and your spouse are not on the same page and why it's so important that the two of you make your financial decisions together. Yeah, it's really important, right? Especially when it comes to beneficiary on things like an annuity or a pension. Believe it or not, there are a lot of people still have pensions being paid to them and they have the wrong benefit information, the wrong, you know, inheritance information listed as a beneficiary, you know, on those forms. Um, and let's face it, you know, if uh, I'm a husband and uh, my spouse, uh, based on actuarial assumptions, is going to outlive me. And so many times I've seen that there's been a hundred percent, you know, benefit paid to the holder, but zero to the beneficiary who's your spouse. If you love your spouse, you got to check those beneficiary forms. Yeah. It's so critical that you run those numbers, right? Because what if you pass away your pensions over um, and you still need to account for your significant other still living another 10 years or 15 years, whatever happens to be, you've really got to have that longevity planning. It's also critical when it comes to social security, depending on the age of your spouse, uh, depending on if they worked or didn't work, how you claim your social security strategy. But when it really comes to figuring out what kind of income that both of you are going to need, you have to do it over both of your lives. And to your point, Bob, typically men, we don't live as long as women. Um, so when it comes to longevity, you really have to figure out the, uh, the wife typically uh, is probably going to live longer than you. And how do you account for that and inflation as well? I think it's pretty simple, Rod. You have to look at yourself, look at, look at your, your life and say, hey, Am I a rule of thumb life? You know, I mean, there's no rule of thumb for you. You're a unique individual. Every, every couple's unique. Every individual's unique. And there's so many different unique claiming strategies when it comes to Social Security. And, you know, with inflation going up, that benefit's going up every year. So if you claim it improperly, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And I'll tell you one thing my parents taught me. Don't leave money on the table. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that's important too is it's not the same for everybody, right? Your situation is unique, so your, in, uh, your Social Security claiming strategy is going to be different than everybody else's, and it's got to be coordinated with the income from your portfolio, whether you have a pension, don't have a pension, but it's just so critical to factor in all those different incomes. The other critical point here is a lot of you have different accounts in different places. Maybe your spouse has a 401k from an old job. You have a 401k from your old job. You have old IRAs out there, old brokerage accounts, but putting all those assets on the same page and making sure that everything is working together is so, so important. You don't want to manage your accounts in a vacuum and you don't want to do it separately. You want to make sure that everything is on the same page in a concerted effort. And that's a mistake that we see all the time is you're not managing all your assets together. It's a big no-no. You know, Rod, let's face it. We work with a lot of couples where you have one person who is the financial decision maker, the one person who focuses on the finances, on the investments. Sometimes it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife, right? And it's very rarely both. So what I love about what we do for our clients and what everyone should have is our portal, our financial portal, where you can store all that information. Because if you're the disinterested spouse, guess when you become interested? When the other spouse is gone. And if you don't know where anything is, you know, you need a place to go to make sure that you're accounting for every dime you're, you're entitled to and all the income that you need to live, you know, a lifetime of income, you know, without any stress. Yeah. And such a good point because a disinterested spouse needs to get interested. <laughs> you, know, you have to get them yeah. involved because a lot of times maybe you have a high risk tolerance and you own lots of individual stocks. And all of a sudden, you know, you don't mind that the portfolio can be extremely volatile, but to leave that for your spouse who may be risk averse 
could be a terrible thing to do. So making sure that you are both on the same page when it comes to risk, because a lot of times you're not just managing the money for yourself, you are managing it for your disinterested spouse. And that's really, really critical. Um, so getting your other spouse involved in that whole conversation, and to your point, if you're not on God's green earth, having one point of contact that your, your spouse at that time can contact and know where everything is. Like we see this all the time. It's a nightmare when the disinterested spouse is not involved in the financial planning process. Huge red flag. And, you know, no, I mean, we're in a technological world now, but not everything is, you know, on the Internet. Not everything is, is, is accessible. I have a lot of clients who have insurance investments or, and, and they get a paper statement still and they store it in a drawer. And I, I met with a, a, a client the other day, a relatively new client. They said, hey, Bob, anything happens to me, this top drawer here is my uh, fixed annuity yeah. drawer. My uh, other investment drawer is over here. I have a little you know, cowboy account, I call it, where I trade over here. I said, well, wait a minute. Does your spouse know about this? Uh, I think she does. I mean, it's amazing where you know, we assume that somehow, magically, all that information that's stored in our brain is going to be passed on to our undisinterested <laughs> spouse uh, just because we're not there any longer. So critical to know where everything is. Know what you own. Know why you own it. That's what I always say, right? Yeah. And then now there's no excuse, right? Technology has gotten a lot better and there are password protected portals where you can put all your information, like you can have all your state docs in one place digitized, right? You can have all your insurance policies in one place digitized. You can have all your different accounts in one place digitized. That makes life so much easier knowing that there's a central location that's in a vault uh, electronically that can be accessed as opposed to your point, dad, just having portfolio statements everywhere in different drawers, estate planning docs everywhere hidden. Um, that doesn't really help. You know, I had a client that had like hidden insurance policies in shoeboxes. <laughs> That's not helpful yeah. for your other spouse. So take advantage of technology, get everything centralized. It makes life so much easier. God forbid something happens to you. You know, Rod, the other thing that I see that uh, it's been an issue um, and it's something that shouldn't surprise anyone because through life, you realize that opposites attract. And it's amazing how you can have two spouses that are diametrically opposed in terms of their views of risk, return, and what's really important, spending. Yes. And that's another key why you want to, it's not fun, but you should do these meetings together to figure out collectively what you're spending. Um, and sometimes you see that in a meeting, you know, the one spouse will say, wait a second, you spend how much? <laughs> so <laughs> getting on the same page with your expenses, your savings plan, it's so critical. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like, this is what I need. I need to get everything centralized. I need to get a game plan for myself and my spouse. God forbid I'm not here. I'm not on God's green earth at some point. I have everything put together. Here's your shot to do it. We're willing to do it for you. We literally have five slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. And we'll do it with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. We're going to go as far as building you that personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life. And then we can just hone in on every financial issue you've been procrastinating on that you've got to address today, whether it's that income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you factor in inflation? Inflation is going to continue to go up over your lifetime. It's going to double over the next 20 years. You need a dynamic income plan to factor in. We're going to help you build that income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile over the course of the last two years. 
how's your portfolio fared? Has it been volatile as well? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do? We're going to put together that full investment game plan, tie it to your goals, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street's an industry that loves to sell you products with high costs that are hidden, that are extremely tax inefficient. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own, whether it's an annuity, insurance product, mutual fund, brokerage product. We've seen it all. We're going to do a deep dive of all those investments, show you how to reduce all the hidden costs in your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We have five slots left if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next five callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation, no strings attached, but You'll still be without a plan if you're not one of our next five callers. So give us a call at 844-752-6692 or text 844-752-6692 or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob and our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. Stay tuned. We got more. More money coming your way. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. I am Steve Moore, economist with the Heritage Foundation and with my friends at FreedomWorks. And I want to get right to it because we have an outstanding guest today, uh, Steve Hankey, who is one of the top economists in the country. And he is an expert on two issues that I wanted to talk to him with about. By the way, Steve Hankey, thanks so much for joining. Great to be with you, Steve. So I want to talk to you, Steve, about two uh, things. You, you've done, you did the seminal study on the impact of uh, COVID lockdowns. And this is an issue, again, this week because of the debate that took place between Gavin Newsom of California and uh Ron DeSantis of Florida. And this whole issue came up about who handled COVID better, which state handled it better, California or Florida. And um, your study, as I as uh, I recall, seems to suggest that there was almost no positive impact from the lockdowns that happened in states like California. So I, I'd love you to, could you just take a couple minutes and summarize what you found? Yes, but what we did, Steve, uh, we did what's called a meta-analysis. We, we, the, the meta-analysis, we looked at uh, over 20,000 studies, actually, and, and filtered those. 20,000 20, studies? Yeah, 20,000 <laughs> studies. Oh, my God. Okay. And, and, but uh, we, 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 we end, ended up filtering those down. There were actually 22 that were high quality and could be normalized and made co and, uh, comparable, so you actually okay. could make any sense out of the thing. Right. And and studying those things in detail, which we did, and we published, by the way, a, a peer-reviewed book in London, the Institute for Economic Affairs. You can go and obtain that book 
free uh, online, actually. And uh, the conclusion was that the lockdowns had a very tiny effect on mortality. Actually, many more people die of flu every year then we're actually saved by the lockdown. So uh-huh. you have you have tiny health benefits associated with the lockdowns, and of course, anyone with any common sense knows that the the damage caused by the lockdowns, right. not only economic but in terms of educational loss right. and all the rest, right. of it, just massive. So this is probably the most catastrophic policy failure in the. That's in the record books. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I think, so I, I seem to recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you found that the the reduction in um, deaths due to due to the shutdowns of the economy were like point one percent or something like that. Yeah. Well, you, it, de- depending on the studies you use and how you measure it. It's 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 around around three percent, something like that. Very very small. But the numbers, the the thing that really is the key, is the fact that you're saving so few lives relative to what normally just occurs in a regular flu season. Right. So so you're not you're not really if you put the whole thing into context, that's the way to look at it. How how many lives yeah. are you, did you actually save because of the lockdown policies relative to what normally uh, we have as people kicking the bucket because of flu every year? So it's isn't it true that most of almost all of those deaths that did occur from COVID were of people over the age of sixty five? Yes. So that would that would mean that you know the number of years of life. I mean, it's it's a big difference when an eight-year-old dies or an 80-year-old dies, right, from uh, from something. Oh, uh, yeah. All of them, uh, you know, you get into this, this is really kind of a morbid conversation in a way and making calculations based on it. Uh, but the the fact is, obviously, the 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 value of a young life in, in, a, in an economic no, calculus sure. is worth right. a lot more than somebody who's 85 years old or right. 80 or whatever. Yeah. And so just to summarize, I didn't, I know this isn't the main topic I wanted to talk to you about, but it's very timely. You know, you look at, so uh, Steve in Florida, they basically, after the first few months of COVID, they reopened their economy in California. You know, they kept the economy pretty much shut down for well over a year. So there was a big argument between these two governors in that debate about who handled it better you know, what, as you look at the well, data, what where, where would you come down? Florida did. If you do any fact checking, as they like to say now, we have to fact check everything. Right. Uh, Florida came out ahead on, on on that. They did handle the thing much better than California. Although, in in general, we can say that the states that had lighter lockdown policies, let's put it that way, did much better than those that had severe lockdown policies. That that we know for sure. Yeah. In the United States. 
Yeah. Well, that's a great point because I think that's going to be a, a bone of contention uh, in in this uh, presidential race as we look back on COVID. So let's well, all, let's turn all, all the public health people. By the way, they have a big inquiry going on in England right now in the UK, and, right? And, and all these people who were in, in the lockdown camp, Boris Johnson and all, all the Tories, every, everyone was locking down in England, and, and it was a complete disaster, of course. And now they're running a, a, a an inquiry, a governmental inquiry, a big deal. Uh-huh. And, and you read it, and it's interesting how everything is getting pushed under the rug. All, <laughs> right. all this disastrous lockdown policy yeah. is being pushed under the rug. And Hancock, who was a minister in charge of this, he he said his conclusion was we would have been a lot better off if we had locked down much earlier than we did. No, the guy's got it completely wrong. (laughs) Right, right. This is this is just unbelievable what's going on. Well, if you look at what's happening in the United States, I mean, some unbelievable things that have happened in the last few months is number one. Uh, Fauci was on one of these, you know, national TV shows saying, oh, well, I wasn't in favor of lockdowns. Now, that that isn't true, Steve. He was a big advocate of lockdowns, wasn't yeah, he? Well, uh, well you, you, if, if you if you want to look at his record, he's, he, <laughs> he covers a full distribution of options, depending on which day he's talking. <laughs> That's right. Well, the other thing that I found really uh, almost comical was that the um, – the head of the teachers union said, well, we wanted to get the schools open when they were actually the biggest advocates for shutting down things. Well, this, this, the, the, the ratio of, of evidence to facts is, is pretty low in the in this area. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they really, they, they can cherry pick and twist anything around and, any day they say one thing, the next day, the next day, and the next day, the next thing. But so if, the, you the at, of, if you look yeah. at our meta-analysis, yeah. you, you really get the facts. I mean, all, all the yeah. numbers, and it's it's a, it's a little bit out in the weeds. It's not the kind of book you want to read before driving, but it's all in there. <laughs> well, the bottom line is that lockdowns were not an effective way to combat a virus like this and that we probably should never do this again. Right. And and by the way, interestingly enough, the World Health Organization that that was their policy prescription prior to COVID. I know. Yeah. Their their position was lockdowns would be a bad thing if you had a pandemic like COVID. So we had COVID and and the political winds started shifting and then yep. the WHO shifted. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I only have you for, for uh, you know a few more minutes, so I want to switch directions if I could. By the way, I'm talking to Steve Hankey, who is one of the leading economists in the country. He's at Johns Hopkins University, and he is also, in addition to having done that amazing study on COVID, he also is one of the world's uh, great monetary experts. And what I wanted to get your thoughts about, Steve is what has happened in this remarkable election that happened in Argentina, uh, which has uh, had like 400% inflation, um, and the people got fed up with prices. You know, basically, the the Argentine peso was almost not even worth the paper it was printed on. Uh, and you have been a, a, a leading advocate, and you've put out a new analysis showing that uh, Argentina can stop its inflation 
by dollarizing their economy. Now, could can you explain? Because you know we have a layman's audience here; they're not economists. What does that mean for a country to dollarize their economy? Okay, to start start with what's going on. I measure the inflation rate every day in Argentina. It's two hundred and five percent a year today. And if you look at the peso, the currency, you said it's lost most of its value. Well, since Fernandez became president in December of 2019, it's lost 93% of its value. So it's it's basically worthless. So what you do is replace that junk currency, the peso, with the U.S. dollar. Now, that is actually de facto happened in Argentina because everyone gets rid of those pesos as fast as they possibly can. And and they convert them into U.S. dollars. So, the so second- hold on, hold on, Steve. Just just stop for one minute, because again, I want to make sure people understand what you're saying. So, if you go to Buenos Aires, you're saying that it, most transactions are actually happening in dollars, not in pesos. Oh yeah, you you can't buy a car or a house or a washing machine or anything like that with pesos. You you have to have greenbacks, and okay. and, and and the Argentines have a lot of greenbacks. They have the the second largest stock of greenback notes, that's cash in their wallet, than, than any country outside the continental United States. Oh, my God. That's $265 billion in, in, US, in greenbacks in cash. Oh, my God. In, in Argentina. So, so they've, 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 they've kind of informally, Steve, dollarized right. the country already. Right. What, what the... What the Javier Malay has been elected, and he he has promised his main campaign pledge was, we we are going to mothball the central bank and the peso and put them in museums, and replace the peso with the U.S. dollar. Now, I've been advocating this for some time. Actually, in yes. October right. October of 1991. I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal in which I was arguing that they should get rid of the central bank. And then in 1999, I actually, I, I was President Carlos Menem's advisor from 89 to 99. And, and Menem asked me, you know, what do you think we should do now? And I said, you should dollarize. He said, draft up a dollarization law and give it wow. to me, which, which I did. So this has been going on for a long time. And and the reason why, if you look at the history of it, they just have one currency crisis after another. Since 1950, they've had 16 recessions. The GDP per capita is now, in, 19, in 2023, back to where it was in 1974. Oh, my the, God. They're, they've, they've de- they're the biggest deadbeat, uh, debt deadbeat in the world. They've had three sovereign debt defaults since... 2000, and all of, all of this is at at the core a peso problem. Wow! You, you, you gotta you gotta mothball that peso and put it in a museum. So does that mean does that mean that does that mean then that uh, you're basically so basically Argentina when you say they would dollarize in effect they would just piggy they would just use dollars and not even have their own currency. Right, right. There would be no more peso. And so okay. the monetary policy of, of Argentina would be the same as the monetary policy of the, the United policy States. Of the US. So it would right. be like uh, 
it would be like becoming a state, like, almost like becoming California or New York or Texas so, or some other state. So let me ask you another question. You're, you're the expert on this. I'm, a, I'm very, my knowledge of this stuff is pedestrian. But would that mean? Why couldn't you just like peg the um, peso to like gold price? Well, you you could do what what we call a current. There, by the way, there are thirty three countries and territories that are dollarized, and and one of these, by the way, two of them I've done myself. I, I think I think more than any living economist, one and so what are, which which countries are those? Montenegro, nineteen ninety nine. I was a state counselor, and and uh-huh. we we replaced the hyperinflating Yugoslav dinar with a German mark. Okay. And, and then in 2001, I was the advisor to the Minister of uh, Economy in Ecuador, and we, we replaced the collapsing sucre with the U.S. dollar. And, and uh, we, there, in addition to those, there are 31 other places that uh, use, use a foreign currency and have no local currency. Now, you ask, you said, well, yeah. couldn't they have the peso and peg it to – to like yeah. gold or the U.S. dollar. Yes, you could, and and I've done actually I've done that kind of exercise in Estonia, Lithuania, Bulgaria, and Bosnia, okay. and that's so what, Steve, a, what they call Steve. a currency board. You yeah. you issue a okay. local currency. The local currency is is fixed. It's exchange rate okay. to an anchor currency. It's back to hundred percent with the anchor currency. So the local currency becomes. In fact, a clone of whatever the anchor is. So, all right. So, Steve, we literally have about 45 seconds left before we the show is over. So I wanted to ask you on the way out, number one, if they do what you're suggesting, will that help revive the Argentine economy? Oh, so they have a boom immediately. Uh, the okay. infla- inflation, inflation would drop like a stone. I mean, it, it, okay. it, it, it would be down in... In single digits, clearly within 30 days. Okay, and the, and the second huge positive right. economic shock. Okay, and, and so the second question in our last 20 seconds is: What impact will this have on the United States if Argentina, uh, uh, Argentina dollarizes? Will it impact our economy? Well, uh, a, a little bit. Everything affects everything in economics. Yeah. Around I mean, the world. will it be positive so or will it be positive or negative? Positive. Okay, it would, positive. It would that's be what positive. I thought. Having ha, having a friendly country that, that's doing well is a lot yeah. better than having a friendly country that's in the <laughs> I love it. Well, Steve, I hope that uh, the uh, new president, Malay, uh, follows your advice. It's been a privilege to have you on the show. That's Steve Hankey of, of uh, Johns Hopkins University. Folks, uh, we have come to the end of the show. Thanks so much for joining. Have a great weekend. This is Steve Moore, and we are checking out. 